and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the little things we do to try to make our campaigns as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. And you know who's coming up here? I'm sending out to my CR peeps. Put your fate in your hands. Take a chance. Roll the dice. Yeah. Yeah, that's the Critical Role theme from DMD. Here I am, rock and roll DM. <laughs> Don't get Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they'll appreciate the the, the, the small shout out. Actually, they're oh. not going to notice us. We're 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 kobolds to a giant. In uh... no, I actually, I'm absolutely <laughs> in uh, some CR groups, so I'm totally going to send this one out. Oh, yeah. do it, do it, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's happening. it's happening. Yeah. All right. And speaking of critical roles and rolling in general, that's a great segue into tonight's episode. Because tonight we're going to talk about the dice, and not just okay, not just what kind of dice we like. We're talking about how do you use the dice in your D and D campaigns. When do you want to introduce that element of random randomization versus uh, set story or role play or whatever non-random element you might use? How do you use them? Uh, what kind of mood you're trying to set? What kind of thing you're trying to accomplish? Do they ever undermine things? Do you ever feel like it was a mistake to use your dice? So that's the kind of thing we're going to get into here today. And I think probably a good spot to start out would be, guys, how random is your world? Like on a just basic party coming into the world, what are they experiencing that's random? And what are they experiencing that's, you know, you already had planned? Well, I don't want to have it thought that the world is random exactly per se, but it has to feel like this is their story and not a novel. Because if it's in a novel, that's where guys start phoning things in. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean there? So what you're saying is basically if it feels too set up, if, if, if the players don't feel like there's any randomization, then they just feel like they're playing through your story and they're just phoning it in? Yeah, they don't need to come up with any great ideas how to get into the castle. They'll just fall into a way of getting there because they need to be in the castle by Act 2. <laughs> you know. I don't want to make things too insane. Like I've seen some great, crazy random charts where it's like, okay, and you know, you're attacked by a beggar, but he's a former knight from the guard. So he's level seven and he attacks you twice with his multi-attack. And you know, it, nobody really wants that. I mean, <laughs> unless you're really building a story around that. And then, you know, do the players even care? <laughs> yeah, I would say the same. I would say the same. And I would actually go back to something. I think Tony had said uh, a couple episodes back where it's, uh, well, if I just stay here long enough, if I just sit in the end long enough, the old wizard is going to come up and ask me with his crystal ball for help at the haunted keep or something, right? At some point, you're yeah. going to learn that the story is going to come and bite you on the ass. So to have a level of uh, of randomization is good. But yeah, like I don't want you to kind of feel like you're walking into like the middle of a Quentin Tarantino film, you know, and trying to understand the plot from there. Right. Like it's random <laughs> enough when you watch it from the beginning, but you know, I don't want you to feel that way, but. Uh... So you see, I mean, I, one of the things that came up from one of our uh, more recent episodes was the idea that uh, you, you, you have the party on a railroad, but you don't want them to know they're on a railroad. Right. It's like, yeah, I've got my story. You're going to you're going to have to hit these beats, but I don't want you to know that I want you to get there on your own and feel you have agency and that the world's a little random. Yeah, I don't I don't think that you should ever have a, like what you've talked about. The single point fails is probably mm-hmm. a bad idea if it's something that is somewhat germane to some part of the adventure like you know don't let the dice decide that oh well yeah you just don't figure out anything and go home 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, so don't let it be a single point failure. But let the let the dice speak for themselves, though. Let the dice yeah. speak for themselves when they need to. Yeah, I don't miss that from previous editions where it wasn't like in fifth. I mean, obviously, your characters are much more durable. It's much harder to die. I mean, yeah. you, you, you have a friggin' insect bite you in second edition. You're like, ah, I'm dead. Oh, my God, I blew my poison save. And I'm only <laughs> a level two fighter with an 18 con, and my save is still garbage. And that's done. true. Absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, that's still kind of a that still kind of worries me at some points, because you'll see some of these things, and it's like the it's fail or die, and you're like, Oh man, that could go really bad. Like I don't know what to do with it. Like, do I just do it? Like Tone, you were talking about that with the Storm Kings, where you literally pulled the one trap out because that was just like that. It wasn't randomization of the roll, but it was randomization of where you stepped, and uh, that fit in like one e and two e. But these days, I don't know how much it swings. Uh, I think. It was yeah, you could have fiddled with this one rune. You're like, ooh, let me mess with this rune. Next thing you know, meteors are raining down on you. I'm like. I lost two, three, maybe four characters. Yeah. I, I looked in the in the adventuring gear. There's not a 10-foot pole there anymore, okay? They took it out, so they're telling you something, all right? They really should have added a 10-foot pole with those grabber hands for the, you know, COVID times. That would have been very <laughs> conscious of them. It would have been very super helpful. I mean, that's the thing, right? Because the, 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 the risk with doing a more random world is you have to live with the random consequences which is not the same as letting the characters live with the consequences of their actions. Cause sometimes they just get unlucky. That's the risk of being more random. Now, again, you know, again, we're going to get into this whole thing. I do approach things a little more randomly in my worlds, less now than I used to. But when I look back at some of my early games, especially it was literally, you're starting out in this town and it happens to be the city of Greyhawk. Cause I owned that box set. So I had something I could put you guys, put the players <laughs> in. And then they're walking outside. Now the city of Greyhawk does not explore the wilds. So I don't know where they're going. And at that point there was a lot of, okay, you're outside. I, I rolled some random encounters based on where they were. And the random encounters brought out certain monsters and those monsters. Then I just built story around sure. and filled out the world and what the players were doing in that way. So I have done the random encounter based world that leads to a longer campaign because you kind of riff off of what you get, you know, you kind of, you start by improving and then you start riffing into what you, what you do. One of the commenters on the, um, on the uh, railroad versus open world podcast we did a few weeks ago, Compared that to being a storyteller being more versus more of a world designer or game designer approach to dungeon mastering. I think there's a lot of truth to that because I do take more of a, you know, I'm not really telling a story. I develop a story as we go along, but I tend to start with, I build a world, I design a world and that's something fun to play with for me and hopefully for the party. And then we build that out from there into the campaign. So what I'm doing in that though, I try to lean into something that I think dice actually do really well, which is define a world. You know, once you, if you want player characters to feel what's in the world and get a feel for kind of what kind of world is this and what kind of threats are you engaging with or what kind of features are you running into or even what kind of weather are you running into? That's where I think random works really well because when you're just rolling randomly, what's going to happen to them? And they're seeing random examples of how this world works. I think the dice running a, a bit of randomness in your game through like dice tables, I think works is, is a good way to convey that because you can spec out tables that really kind of reflect, okay, so this is a common thing to happen. This is a rare thing to happen. One mm -hmm. of the examples we talked about before was how in the first edition, you literally had some random encounter tables that were like, 
like adult red dragon shows up or a party of, of fire giants are walking through the woods. Mm. Like, I mean, now one, your players better understand, don't get involved in that, <laughs> hide and move along. But if they don't, I mean, it, it, assuming they do get that, they then understand, okay, this is a world with massive fiery things that is that I'm working in. You know, so that kind of ends a flavor to it. I do like dice for that, for building an environmental feel, because, you know, to, to most of us, the environment's effectively random. I mean, not to a meteorologist, but still. I love random encounter rolls. <clears throat> I love them. I use them all the time. Absolutely. I also use a lot of rain rolls. I know in Slaver's Bay, I actually had that set up uh, where I had a percentage system, and I was rolling a percentile to see each day mm. if there was rain or not. And it was, while it seems small and stuff, there is a possibility that to the players, it's giving the sense, like you're saying, of that organicness because it doesn't feel pre-planned. Yeah. You know, uh, even if it might be, you know. But. I'm very guilty of pre-planned encounters. Although sometimes I feel you really do need a random encounter where yeah. some thieves show up, some orcs show up. Maybe a giant wanders through the forest, and it doesn't mean something. Maybe that hill giant wandered through the forest and attacked the caravan you were protecting because he was just hungry. Not because he's working for the Dark Lord. This is tied <laughs> into my plot. You know, through nine ribbons later, you eventually find out he was one of the Dark Lord's servants. No, really, he was a giant. He was looking for an easy mark. End of story. Well, you've said before, Tony, in one of the previous episodes, you had said that you don't like random encounters because you want the encounters. So you want your players to feel like when they have an encounter, it's moving the football. I mean, now I understand that's probably a slider, right? It's like sometimes a random encounter is okay, but most of the encounters you want to be significant and move the football. Where do you balance that? There's points where I look for if I'm going to have a random encounter here, for example, say you guys just blew through two scenes like bing, bing. And I'm like, okay, crap. We have a seven-hour game, and you're much further than I was expecting. Good thing I have this random encounter in the wing here that I can slide out. And then I'll give you – this will still give you something else, which is part of this. Maybe these are servants of the enemy. Maybe this is a new adversary. Maybe this is a new faction. But um, – All right. Yeah. Let me amend it then. How about this? I'm going to actually amend because I don't actually just straight up do random encounters. Uh, and they're also, they're, they are planned, but they're random. So here we go. Plandom encounters, right? Oh, yeah. wow. uh, trademark. Trademark. Trademark is another term. We're going to have the, the, the uh, Three Wise DMs dictionary out next Christmas. We're going to send it out. Don't worry, guys. Uh, but Look yeah, like a perfect example that I'm doing this in, uh, I'm, I, this is when I started playing it was the Strahd campaign because they have random encounters. They have day ones, they have night ones when you're walking yeah. through Barovia. Cool. And literally all of the encounters play into the overall theme of, of the adventure, right? So they work. So it's not necessarily, oh, my God, why is this here all of a sudden? It just happens to, you know. Um, but I will oftentimes roll out several of them, two or three, to have in my session notes for – Okay, when your guys are traveling or something needs to happen, if I need to to pull that out, it's there. So I know what's coming, but there is still a randomness to it, mm. you know. So you kind of have them set up. So if you need them, you can. If you need them yeah. and they come up, you can pull them right yeah. in. The plandom encounter. The plandom well, encounter. <laughs> I think random monsters are much safer than random treasure because that's when shit hits the ceiling. 
Because <laughs> you want to piss your players off, attack them with four fire giants, have them survive this horrific battle, and then give them garbage. They, because have, the, they have clubs. <laughs> well, the Th- Storm King's Thunder has a random giant table with these giants that have on them. I'm like, ah, a sheep. <laughs> a giant stinky shag rug. And I'm like, the, the thief's dead. Like, That's we, so we lost Bob, you know. <laughs> Tony, the same exact thing in the Tales of the Yawning Portal. They redid a lot of the old mods. And one of them they did to update for 5e was against the Giants. They have the same. I Obviously, they must be using the same one because they have a giant table where it will tell you, like, stuff they would have in their sack. You know, like a sheep and yeah. cutlery and, like, all giant size And extra pair of though. giant sandals. I'm like, what? Is he going to the beach? Yeah, like, you have an 18 strength, and you'd have to be dragging these sandals. Like, who are you selling these things these to? These crocs are prime merchandise. I'm going to build my keep out of them. You're not. It's like it's like all the junk you find in Skyrim, all the all the wheels of cheese and the, exactly. and the forks and plates you find around that aren't worth anything to resell. It's just so that you have even to if you want to buy a house and you can dump all your shit in there. <laughs> it's like you can take the stuff if you want to. We're really just putting it in here to add a little little veritas to to, to the very similitude to the world here. That's you know? exactly. Yeah. That's right. You want you want a stinky giant sandal? You can take it. We're not recommending it, but we're letting you know he has some because he's a real living he's a real living giant quote human being <laughs> you know it's like i think that we need to think about it in some in some cases with the dice and D. I mean look the dice are synonymous with the game right when you think of role-playing games when you think of dungeons and dragons you think of that set of weird polyhedral dice we all love them Absolutely. you know they, they, they are fun they're one of the most they're one of the most iconic things about the game but it does kind of have the effect of sometimes making it feel like you should roll them as much as you can when really, when you get into it, there's there are times and places to roll your dice. There are effects, there are things you get from doing a random roll, and there are things you get from having the world work on simple cause and effect. They they both play a different role. Like if you want to encourage a certain kind of play, you want to encourage a certain kind of whether it's role play or it's how they approach combat. If you want to make what the party does count, you maybe you maybe uh, devalue the roles a little bit and just like good planning works sometimes or you let them, okay, you did the thing that worked because you want them to do the right things. If you want the world to feel chaotic and you want them to see all the weird stuff that can happen, you want them to get the impression that, hey, there are just random goblins running around who aren't necessarily involved in your plot, but they're still attacking that farm. That's when the random dice are really effective. Like forgiving the sense that there is a world beyond what we're involved in. That's when the randomness, at least for worldwide events, feels like it really pays off. When you get into the story, that's when maybe randomness can get to be a little too much because you want to kind of settle down and actually make them feel like, yeah, you, we have some cause and effect going here. It's not just a roll of the dice as far as what happens next. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, but I agree. I love rolling dice mm. uh, myself, and I love my players rolling dice. And as you guys know, I always will just say, you know, just for giggles, let's just roll something out, you know. Dave loves the uh, D100. Yeah, <laughs> just give me these ones. I, I use the D100 sometimes for certain things because I do like certain things for a percentile. Um, some things actually in the adventure call for it too. But uh, um, but yeah, like I think that it's it gives the same level like because combat is always like there's nothing in combat where you're like oh yeah that just works your arrow just happens to hit, yeah. right. So it's it's in those situations. It's like if 
Because in essence, when you're in combat, it's this, everything's happening simultaneously. And even though you're wildly trained, you're in the fog of war, right? So things go bad, right? You slip on blood that you just, you know, had because you crushed some goblin skull and now you're slipping in its blood. You can't shoot the next guy, whatever. So you're adding in the dice to create that randomization. So in the same way, if it's something that's on the fly, if it's skill checks, if it's things like this, if they are something that is more difficult than that person could do given some time, I think that's when you roll. You know, if it's something that they would just know or do or they're taking an hour to do it, well, then, yeah, you do it. You know, I'm not going to make you necessarily roll out, you know, for that. One thing I secretly do during these these die rolls when a player is trying to convince somebody of something that's the truth, I've lowered the DC rating. Mm. So that this gives the other players an opportunity and I'm again, once again, I'm ruining all my secrets here. Um, who does not have actual speaking skills? Like maybe the warrior didn't go to finishing school, and they're extremely eloquent, and you know they know all their all the uh, court etiquette. Um, but in that way, if they do score a good role, they can really make something open up in the storyline that perhaps they would not have. Well, that. But that actually does come to a point where, and this came, this played out in one of our games actually. So this is where it gets a little tricky because when if you want players to role play, you need to reward their role play. You need to basically let their role play sometimes work. And what that can mean is that if you take a character who is talking, if you take a player who's talking as his character and he doesn't have a high charisma, and then whatever he says, he now has to make a charisma roll for like a persuasion check or, 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 or whatever, or whatever he's trying to make that can discourage role play because if that character doesn't have a good enough role to make those, you know, social roles, a good enough charisma to make those social roles, it kind of leads to them. Well, it's, it's basically discouraging them from rolling it because they'd be better off with someone else in the party making that argument, you know? So I think that's where we also, where the dice can be a two handed sword. Like on the one hand, Rolling randomness brings a richness or an organic feel to the world. Things, anything can happen. It can go good. It can go bad. The dice determine these things. But from the point of view of encouraging player behavior, and like like Tony, like you said, I like that you kind of lower some of the DCs if they're doing things that make more sense because that is where it becomes potentially problematic. If you are like, I want the party playing in this way. But they play in that way, and this, and the result still comes down to a die roll. Well, why bother to play in that way? You know, why bother to role play the way that we want them to role play if you're still going to make them make a random roll at the end anyway? And if you're having, and if you have anyone listening here, if you're having games where you feel like the players aren't role playing, or they're just kind of playing it like it's a video game and just kind of, you know, using their powers and rolling their dice and just counting on the dice to get everything done, that might be the problem. Because if you want to encourage role play, sometimes you should let the role play work, or at least devalue the die roll so that the role play still has a reward regardless of the dice. If it's role play and then the character has to make the same random roll or even the random roll with like a plus one or plus two, which might not be that, 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 that significant. Well, then you're not actually encouraging role play. You're just telling them they have to role play. still make the same role. If you want them to role play, you need the role play to sometimes replace roles or make roles very easy because this, this happened. And I think, so there was a in the Storm King Thunder game when we were talking to the uh, to, to to the Storm Giant Titan, I believe. 
Um, I'm playing Zhang, and Zhang is a warrior. Zhang is okay charisma. It's not very good. I, I, it's not his dump stat necessarily. He's either at a zero or a plus one. He's not the talker. He is not proficient in persuasion. And he jumped in and made a point about what we were trying. We were trying to talk this guy into giving us the ring he had. And Zhang made um, a point about what he about why he should want to do this. And you know, it wasn't like outside of the characters. It wasn't like outside of Zhang's character. He wasn't like trying to be the bard and kind of tell a really eloquent story. He was just he was making a warrioristic kind of lawful, like a point that aligned with what he does. And then it was okay, but make a role. And the problem is he had very little chance of making that role. Like he's not good at he's not good at persuasion. So if that's the case, if it's if it's the low charisma player uh, character's player makes an argument, but then they need to make a role based on their charisma, which is going to be bad anyway, then that sort of encourages that low charisma character to keep his mouth shut. Because talking in a social situation is actually detrimental to the party. He is better off letting the charisma characters do it. So the unintended side effect of that can be you can actually discourage some of your players from role-playing that way possibly i think though like and i think uh, tony i would say uh, correct me if i'm wrong because i think i play it a little bit similarly <clears throat> in that this specific encounter when we ran into the spell jammer airship powered by four white fucking dragons and also demi- not in the module and and a demigod uh, cloud giant or storm giant and uh, frost fire- giant guys come on frost giant we were yeah that's right that's right with the white dragons that's he's true he, of, uh, he's actually he's a demigod he's not actually a he's frost demigod, giant yeah. he's a, he's, yeah. a, he's a he's a minor deity yeah <laughs> But uh, there was no way we were talking him out of giving that to us. But I I think when I asked for – so in our last game with Strahd, you guys arrived at the town of Kresk, right? And you try to get in. And walking up there, I already knew that you probably weren't getting in because of the way in which the people in Kresk are, right? But – when you rolled up and your character Phineas, who is a very high charisma character, yeah, that's, that's game, a charisma right? character there. Um, I you you wanted to, you were speaking eloquently, oh friends and all this. I had you made the roll. Now, if you blasted out like above, you know, twenty plus, you know, mm-hmm. like I think you actually rolled out a twenty, which was crazy, right? But like you needed like an almost impossible roll to get it. But if you got it, well then. Well, shit, that kind of changes stuff now, you know? And I feel like Tony might have played it in the same way, or at least a little leeway, maybe. What do you think, Tony? Okay. When you're Scen- asking for the role. Scenario, gentlemen. A <laughs> guy runs, walks up to you out of the blue, who you don't know from Adam, and he's like, hey, I need your debit card number and your pin. And I got a really good persuasive reason for it. Here I go. And he lays out a great pitch. Are you giving him this stuff? Right. The fuck you are. And like right. this guy's got an artifact ring around his neck, and you know, um, you're like, what? You know, we really need it, and here's why. And he's like, uh huh. Yeah, I believe you. <laughs> but I'm a selfish prick. I mean, I'm chaotic evil. I mean, uh, why would I give this to you? But there was other role play things to do with him. He has information. Um, Oh, okay. okay. He, he can reveal certain other aspects of the story that you wouldn't have access to because he's been around and he's a powerful NPC. Um, I've been on the other side of this too. When I played a wizard and I was surrounded by a bard, a rogue, a sorceress, <laughs> all these people are dripping with personality. And I'm like, hey guys, what's going on? You know, <laughs> like, you really want me talking? 
no, you want me in the lab, like trying to crack a Da Vinci code. You know that is talking? true, though. Yeah, Tony, I well, will say you kind of he does have he has created a level of that though, where we've all gotten like in a sense our jobs in the uh, in the party, as it were, right? And and for the most part, you guys will say, okay, send Ron in, send Ron in. He's got to talk to. Yeah, but person. but that also creates. I mean, but that has created problems sometimes where the other players aren't paying attention during conversational encounters because they're not supposed to be contributing to it. Yeah, I don't like you know, that. So, 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 so here, here's actually what I would have, what I would suggest. Because um, what happened was basically Zhang had to make the roll. Zhang's got low charisma. Zhang makes a crappy roll. I rolled like a, like, like you want to roll like a five or something. Like, mm. whereas, but like Zhang's got like a plus one in charisma, whereas Roderick has like a plus 12. So like a plus five 12, for Zhang yeah. would have been like a 17 for Roderick. He's like a plus yeah. 76. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so it's, I think in those situations, especially in fifth edition, that's where advantage is more called for. Rather than, rather, because here's the thing. I don't care what everyone's job is. I think you want people involved in conversations. I don't yeah, think it's. I, no, I think it's probably a mistake to set up your game in any way where you're expecting one, like one or two players, to do more of the talking than the others. Now they might be the ones who are the faces making the roles. Maybe they should make the lead conversations. But I think you want all the players speaking up and stepping in on occasion. So if you don't want that, yeah, you can kind of get, kind of get the you know making the low charisma people make charisma roles whenever they open their mouths is going to discourage that. I would think it's probably a better idea to basically let them lend advantage to the charisma, to the face characters and let those, those face characters make the role because otherwise, yeah, you wind up in a situation where it's basically, look, if you have low charisma and you open your mouth on a role-playing encounter, well, that could screw the whole party. So, you know, stay in the back and shut up. And I don't I will think say, that's though, the I, best way to do it. I think, I think overall though, that's generally how tone has played it though. Uh, in allowing everyone to kind of talk in different times. But uh, to his point, too, just because you talk, even if Roderick talks great, sometimes that shit don't matter. Like, you know, it, it'd be like you're not going to talk Strahd into, like, walking into the sunlight. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's the same kind of thing. There are limits. But I do like, Tony, where you were saying when you're asking for that role, it's not like with mine. Like, if I'm looking for maybe, hey, maybe you get that 25 and it's crazy, right? Mm. But um, more that, okay, you got a really good role, so I'm going to give you this, but not this, right? You're never going to get this, but you can at least get more of, you know, information or clues or something. I like that. I like that. I think one place where I disagree with both of you guys on is that when we had this in a previous dialogue, and you may wind up backpedaling here, we'll see where you still stand. Um, <laughs> because, you know, Thorne likes to play an intimidating warrior, but blah, his – his charisma's low, so he's not intimidating. I disagree. Oh, yeah, right. I'm right. sorry. And then we talked about, like, you know, I think a guy who's Weasley with a high charisma could mm -hmm. convince you that you're going to get your ass kicked if you don't do what he wants because he has these guys. But on the same token, the guy who could kick your ass could probably intimidate you as well. <laughs> right? Like, oh, the still, yeah, right. The force well, giant comes over and he's like, eh. and I'm like, who's this dork? You know, <laughs> like, look at that stupid T-shirt he's wearing. Well, but yeah, but the difference there is Zhang actually is for, he's actually proficient in intimidation and pretty good at intimidation, which is, which is, you know, yeah. When you want an intimidating kind of encounter, I don't know if he intimidates better than uh, Roderick at this point. Now they're both like knife level and build up a bit, but Zhang was always, Zhang has always been able to intimidate because he, he has a pretty decent intimidation, you know, like intimidation stat anyway. Um, I don't, I think, you know, 
if you want players to interact, I think you need to be careful asking for, for them to make weak rules is what it comes down to. Because if, if the player steps up and, and, and says something in a conversation or steps up and otherwise does something that, you know, you that that then leads to them making a role that they have no chance of making that hurts the party you are by you know de- you are by default discouraging that behavior which can have unintended effects because it can it can lead to players being like okay well this is the social encounter that's not my job i should just sit here and not try to contribute which isn't really what you want you know it's true but i also have to say that i also kind of outlined that in that conversation in the game that there are certain com- there are certain topics mm. that you had room to work with and certain topics were you did yeah. for example yeah. like if you're going to go to the storm go to giants and be like let me tell you all about the ordning and the all father they're going to be like i'm sorry what's that poser <laughs> like <laughs> like what yeah. do you guys know about this cultural <laughs> appropriator yeah they're, they're, they're not buying it I, I mean, it's, it's it's like, you know, you're gonna walk in, you're gonna t- teach Mario how to make pizza, like, and he's like, what? No, it doesn't. Well, you fly. probably could. He's a plumber. I mean, and know. he's fictional, so maybe. <laughs> but I mean, when Lou Albano played him, he did. He was very convincing. No, I would say I I I agree. So I think um, I still stand behind. I'm not a big one for feats of strength and strength being the the stat for that. But um. I think for uh, you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but especially in our in our Strahd campaign, <clears throat> there have been many times where uh, it's been just straight discussion, straight role play, and you either you get information you don't, whatever, and then you kind of you know, fish for more. And then other times where there have been some more roles involved, and it's very case dependent on what's the situation you're running into, right? If you're rolling up on two town guards outside the walls that's going to be a lot different than for instance when you were on the blood of the vine with the the Vistani sisters mm. well that was just kind of we're just talking and and laughing and doing our stuff you know there might have been a couple roles you know just because it's the first time they've ever met you kind of thing whatever but um but mm. yeah i feel like there's a what do you would you agree or disagree that there's been a balance to that because I, so. I ask for lots of roles but there are think- times where i just role play too I think every camp, I think, I think all the campaigns kind of have a balance of that. I think what I'm noticing more, what I'm trying to get at here is less about what either any one specific campaign does and more about, you know, there is that we have all the dice and there is sometimes that instinct of, okay, whenever a player character wants to do something, all right, roll the skill. The problem with that is if you have, if you want your players to play, you know, to, to, to play creatively, if you want your players to, to try to role play, to try to engage, but you're constantly making them make roles every time they do, you actually can undermine that attempt to make the players to get them more engaged and more role playing and more creative because the roles can make those attempts automatically fail or practice or low sure. percentage chances. Yeah, sure. So, so you can set up a situation where to play the game well, I need to not try to do this sort of thing with my character, but to role play well and have a fun campaign and a fun D&D game, not mechanically, but as as a role playing experience, it's better if you if you if the players are trying those things. And I think there's a tension there where you get into a situation where sometimes dice discourage role play. You know, if you're if you're asking for a role every time the players do something interesting, especially if those roles can wind up being things that they're not good at. Well, now you're really kind of saying, look, don't bother to try something unless you've got a good skill at it. You're, you're good in that proficiency. In which case, you're really telling them, you're really telling that player, go back to your sheet and do what your sheet tells you you can do. You're now not encouraging the most creative role play. So and I think, we, I, think I don't think that really gets, gets thought about enough. 
you know, the dice are fun. Rolls in general are fun. When you talk about a game, when you talk about whether a game is fun or highly competitive, like they say chess is a very good game that is not fun because it has no random element. Theoretically, you know everything that can happen. It's just a matter of can you compute fast enough to do the right things. Poker, on the other hand, is highly random because you don't know what your cards are, or what anyone else's cards are. But, you know, it's not entirely random. It's not like coin flips. Right. You know, in general, the more random a game gets, the more fun it gets. But the more random it gets, the less creativity get, and, and, and good strategy gets rewarded. Right. So I think you want to be careful by asking for mm. asking for too many roles, especially around gameplay you want to encourage, because, well, the roles mean you might not be able to reward the thing you want to reward. Does that make sense? That's a, no, it's a, it's a, uh, that's a quite a good point, actually. I think I think it's an interesting way to look at it. Let's well, get back to that whole idea of we teach players how to play our games, and we teach that really by what we punish and what we reward in the in the way we DM the games. So if you want more creative players, if you want players who role play more actively and they and they and they try more things in the world. I think you want to make them roll less. Not that you don't want to make them roll at all, because rolls yeah. are fundamentally fun. But you don't want to turn. You don't want to basically want run into a situation where, oh, they did something cool I liked, and I can't reward it because you blew your roll. Sorry. Well, you know what? The, the, the flip side of that is, you make a fighter with an eight charisma, and he has no speaking skills. And is he really going to turn the tide in the conversation where you're trying to persuade the foreign diplomat? And if he is with his eight charisma and no speaking skills, how does the bard feel when he has an eight strength? And it's like, come on, can he also lift all this stuff? I mean. You guys are different, mm. good at different certain things. You know, that's a that's a good point, and I, th I think you need to have a balance there because there are certain things where you're right. I mean, if you're negotiating for the release of prisoners, if you're trying to talk you to to get a better reward out of something, I mean, there are definitely persuasion, straight persuasion situations where you want to let that high charisma character shine. If it's more of an open conversation where you know the NPC is sitting there talking to the party. If that same rule applies here, well, now you're discouraging some of the party from participating in your conversation. And I think that has more consequences. I mean, you're, I generally agree with your point, Tony. And we've talked about this. I do think you want to let players shine at what they're good at. But I think there are portions of the game that seem charisma focused that are actually you want everyone to be involved in having a good time and role playing. Well, and just role playing well, because that leads to a more engaged game. You know, yeah, I think the, that's the discussion, the discussion around the table in character. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. But. Yeah, but to Tony's point, too, it's kind of like I was thinking, like, with the, uh, you got the negotiator who has, like, the big charisma, mm. and then the other guy who's all military and stuff. It's like every uh, hostage negotiation in a movie you've ever seen where you got, like, the negotiator who's like, dude, this is not how you do it. And the other guy's like, we just got to storm in, and, <laughs> like, and everything goes to shit, you know? Uh, it's exactly that. Good 80s material stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very much like probably like the the entire outdoor scenes of Die Hard, you know, between the, the grizzled cop and the, the guy, the FBI guy. Coming in. So I guess the question we don't want to overlook is when is it OK to fudge your dice as a DM ever? Oh, well, the <laughs> ultimate the ultimate randomization, you mean? <laughs> well, that's the flip side, right? I mean. One of the advantages of rolling as a DM and rolling behind your screen is that you get to fudge dice if you want to. The downside is, you know, players do have a good nose for when you're fudging dice. And there is something to be said for the drama of rolling important rolls in the open. Yeah, yeah. As Tony has said on many occasions. Well, hmm. There's also this simple fact. 
do any one of us with active campaigns going want to admit we fudge dice rolls? I have, absolutely. <laughs> I have. I have, and every time I've played at some point, whether or not, you know, it's not something that's regular, but, you know, there are points. And I'm sorry, anybody who says they never did, they're mm. fucking lying. They're lying. You're lying. Um, <laughs> never? I, won't, I don't know if I want to say never. I, don't, I mean, I go through my whole career back to, like, when I was 12. I mean, uh, that that's sketchy. Or whatever, whatever I actually started at. I have to stop and think about it. But yeah, um, right. I um, I really try not to in, like, literally 99.9% of situations because I've seen the boss blow that saving throw in a critical situation, and I've seen the fight, the player that everybody in the camp party really like, like the guy like, yeah, he's so cool. He's awesome. And he just ate a 20. Well, how's he doing? Well, he had three hit points prior to the 20, (laughs) you know, and then his death becomes memorable because he's now blown to molecules. Um, So, so it really, I mean, we also, something else we talked about in previous, uh, in our previous uh, sessions is that if it's not truly, like, certain things have to be, like, the combat aspect has to be random in that respect. Otherwise, if I murder Dave's character, like, you know, this, you know, the fire giant can't, you know, encounter, and he eats the mean 20 while he was down and gets, and he gets killed. I don't want you to think I killed your character. Like, that's the way the combat broke. Yeah, there is. A sure, difference. sure, sure. Which, which is actually the flip side of we often talk about fudging dice as the DM protecting characters. I would certainly say probably the last time I fudged dice was most likely a character was close to death and I shaved some hit points off a head. You know, that's probably like a hit on them. That's why I, where I will sometimes fudge dice. Well, I fudge dice. I will sometimes fudge dice if things seem like they're going ridiculously one way or another, like. I don't mm. really want my combats to be determined by the big bad guy just keeps rolling 20s or the big guy, bad guy just keeps rolling ones. You know, if the dice are throwing out a game that is like that is just out of whack because the rolls are out of whack, I might dial back some of those. Like I might be like, well, that was a hit instead of an actual 20. I might bump something up if I if I, you know, honestly, I don't think I've ever bumped up something to hit that didn't hit, you know, because I'm less I'm less concerned with whether or not any one role is made or lost than I am with how's the whole fight feel. And if things just feel like they're kind of out of whack because the dice are just weird today, then I might step in to try to even things up a little bit. That tends to be more where I would tend to do it. And we're talking what one in a hundred, one in two hundred rolls that might happen. Roll 20 never replicates rolls. I don't care what you guys think. <laughs> well, that... Um, I think I've rolled this. Roll 20, I think I, I've there, roll... We can't fudge. Seven. Seven. <laughs> yeah, you can't fudge it in roll 20 because it's just rolling out there. Like, I rolled three, 20s in a, three nat 20s in a row this last session. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? That, that's the whole conversation of how, how that, that randomizer gets a little funny there. That, but, that, um, is, that is the weirdest randomizer I've ever seen. Sometimes it has to reset. Air quotes funny. Yeah. Every die I've ever owned is either loaded or roll 20 is one of the two. I've never had dice turn out like roll 20 makes them turn out. Here's what I really think about dice fudging, though. If you're in a situation where you're fudging dice, you've often made a mistake in the rolls you're asking for. Like if it's just a regular combat and you have a fairly well-balanced combat outside of the really weird occasion where like, shit, my, my big bad guy just rolled like six natural 20s. Come on. You know, outside of that kind of statistical anomaly, if you've balanced your combat well, you won't really need to fudge dice. If you've balanced your, your skill challenge as well, if you've balanced what you're asking for well, you won't need to fudge dice. When might you need to fudge dice? Well, if you asked for a die roll that you really wanted to come up good, 
or bad. You know, fudging dice tends to come up when you've painted yourself into a corner because you're you're counting on a single point failure or you're counting on them making like a number of saving throws and they're just not going to make it. And when they don't make it, you don't want to deal with the consequences. I consider those not to be things where um, I want to fudge dice, but those I think of are kind of game design mistakes. Like if you're in a situation where you're asking the players to roll dice and you don't want one of the outcomes to come up, you probably shouldn't be asking for the dice in that way. You know, either you should be asking for a roll that is going to work somehow, either because you're giving them like five chances to roll three successes or something, or you should maybe not be asking for a roll at all. That's the way I see it. Like if so, I'm not necessarily against fudging dice. There are times when I would fudge dice, times when I have fudged dice. But I, it's it's like killing a character when you didn't mean to, right? I generally feel like if I'm fudging dice, I've made a mistake somewhere. Or it's really a weird statistical anomaly. You know, if I kill a character I didn't mean to, mea culpa, I screwed up in my design somewhere. Yeah. If I'm fudging dice in an encounter, I've screwed up in my design somewhere. That's kind of how I see it. Or you just, you rolled out like you guys all just, you, you, we all just uh, created our first level characters and we're about to go out on our adventure and we hit the goblins and they all nat 20 and murder us and we're 10 minutes into the fucking game like uh, yeah i might i've done i that. might i might roll some of those back maybe <laughs> depends on the group right it depends on the group of what's happening but yeah i mean it i definitely do it less these days and i find i do it less especially as the party becomes higher level more and more powerful because it opens up the abilities you got you know they can take a little bit more um, and that's really the thing like most of the dice fudging i have done in my entire career has been with first level characters it's been exactly what you just described. You're like, I've talked before about how in second edition as a DM, you had to learn how not to kill first level characters. Yeah, like you had to learn their them. monsters are goblins and you give those goblins daggers or clubs. And even then they natural 20 and kill your players. Like it's <laughs> it, like you need to like, you had to build skills of how to build an interesting first level adventure without killing everyone in the second encounter. Boy, um, I missed that. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That's just, it, I, that's not enjoyable. Right. That's not, you know, I enjoy the randomness of death and all that in the game and stuff. But like, that's just not fun, man. I'm sorry. Like, oh, well, you just you just walked into a meteor storm. Bye. You know, I, yeah. I mean, that's As a DM, you can always kill the whole party anytime you want to. Yeah. You could, I mean, it's it's not a challenge. It's not interesting. You want to have fun. You don't want anyone just walking out there and dying, kind of sort of what I would call accidentally. If someone dies in a tough encounter that you know someone might die in, okay, well, then it's dramatically appropriate. If someone dies because, you know, just they're low level and, you know, you happen to give three orcs great swords and they all natural 20 don't <laughs> oh, die. Jesus and now he's just, Christ. he's just, he basically, you just throw him into a Cuisinart and he comes out as hamburger on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, that's on the DM. That's not the player's fault. Uh, 2D6 plus orc strength. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that's, and even in 5th edition, there are ways you can screw this up. And I really think it's something that DMs, and I hope any DM listening is thinking about, you know. Traps. Huh? Traps. Traps. Yeah. <laughs> like you think, you think yeah. your guy's really tough? You need to do a meteor swarm. Just have him fall in a pit trap. Ah, you're a mortal man. <laughs> Guess what? I mean, it's really easy. It's a 20 foot pit trap, 2D6. You throw some spears at the bottom, you do another 2D6 or however you want to handle that. Yeah, I oh. feel like your guy's gnome artificer in, the, in one of the first adventures fell into a pit trap, and I think she was out. Like, boom, done. You guys were fighting those ghouls. Yeah. And she yeah. ran around the corner to try to get at their six, and. Drop right into a fucking hole. <laughs> All right, you know. Oh, I remember that. That was rough. Yeah, yeah. we had to go down to save her, and but you know, it, we it's a memorable in, uh, encounter, right? That makes that makes it interesting. Oh so, no, yeah, that was a, that was a phenomenal encounter. I so you know, related to fudging rolls, like I said, as I see it, if I'm in a situation where I'm fudging rolls, I have probably screwed up 
how I designed the role. So let's talk a little bit about some things you can do to take that, that away a little bit. Like, so how can you kind of have the thrill of a role, but have a little less chance the outcome's going to go wrong or end up unfairly or end up in a situation where you want to fudge things? You know, one good way to do it is, you know, we talked about kind of the, you know, are you making characters roll something that they're not, that they're going to be bad at and they're probably going to fail at? Having a way for them to give advantage to a player who has the skill instead of having the low skill character roll it is, I think, a good way to handle that. Skill challenges are a good way to give the party a chance to succeed at something that takes away the 50-50 you-might-fail situation. You know, we've done this. We've talked about this a lot. We use a lot of skill challenges. If you want to have the party convince the king of something and you don't want it to come down to, hey, they blew the roll, so I'm beat, put a skill challenge in. Give them five, seven, ten rolls to make and just figure well, out if you can make a certain number, you know? That's a little more about, like, that would be like fudging your DC, right? As opposed to fudging the die roll. Well, this is more that's about not on your you set end. up the rolling situation so you don't need to fudge. That's what, what I'm saying. That's not yeah. uh, that, the, the fudge and dice would have to be something on your end, right? Well, it's well, I mean, then that's, you know, it comes down to if you want to, you know, making sure you're building your encounters in such a way so that you don't have monsters in it that are going to be able to one shot characters. That's yeah. actually a big thing. And they build it into fifth edition as far as the CR rating goes. You know, you want to be careful about having monsters that can dole out so much damage they one shot somebody. Because like one it can shot, still happen, but it's harder when you're doing when you're balancing it properly. Or at least close to properly. To be honest with you, as bad as I make my encounters, as tough as I make them, <laughs> very, very, very seldom will you see a character go to zero on one hit. Oh, yeah, no, no. I don't think we ever, even when we were dropping with the, uh, we were fighting with the Red Caps, which was well above where we should have been. We were still holding our own for a hot second. Yeah. Until it, and then it just, and then cascade failure happens. Which is, I think, you know, if you look at, if you look at real tactics, that is actually how most battles are won and lost. If you're even up, you take out one of their guy and now you suddenly have a two person, you have a effectively a two person swing. So now you can start, you know, that's just kind of things kind of collapse that way, just in, in real combat or any strategy game, you take off a couple of their guys. And now you've got a numbers advantage. Now some of the dudes are taking two on ones and they die from that. And all of a sudden you have a whole two on one advantage. That's the way a combat really should play out. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, one of the ways I avoid fudging dice rolls, even in five E, but in anything, is just not putting things out there that have such high damage attacks that, I might get, you know, they might have a one-shot kill. Especially not a kill-kill. Like, okay, a one-shot unconscious is different. Make the party kind of scramble around and get that person back up. But that gets dangerous because it's not hard for them to to, to, to knock out two people. And now the party might really be on the back foot. Actually, in that respect, I found I've gotten in trouble with air monsters to area-affecting attacks. So, like, yeah. you want to see really horrifying? A blue dragon's breath weapon, ladies and gentlemen. That's, like... An adult one, I want to say off the top of my head, that's like 16d10. I mean, that's just charming. You know, like, oh, let's go, let's go give the hard, the dragon at the hard time, shoot some arrows at it. Cause you just have that one guy in your party who thinks he has freaking testicles that weigh 45 pounds each. <laughs> and they, they shoot, they shoot an arrow at that dragon that's flying by. And yeah. And you don't want to <laughs> DPK the whole party because he's an asshole. You know, you're like, <laughs> or she, or she. She could be an asshole too, yeah. Just hand that character up. Go ahead, eat him, fly away. Forgot. I've had plenty of female players get a, get me into bad situations. <laughs> Don't drag. I remember that actually. I was in a different kind of situation as a player, and one guy effed with a like an age category twelve deep dragon. Like he he knew you knew it was in there, and he's like, "I'm going in. You guys are a bunch of pussies." And like, okay, and 
he got his ass kicked and he like threw his like remains out. The dragon just chucked his bones out. It's like, yeah. That, that's thank you, sir, for returning the remains. We, we won't bother you anymore. Yeah. Th- th- <laughs> thank you for not coming out and grinding us to dust. We really appreciate All that. All right. Now, time to head to the temple, guys. We got to get that cleric on it. <laughs> or do you do you really need to bring that guy back? Right. For that guy. Yeah. Hey, so what are some of the ways you've seen rolls go wrong on you? Like, you ever had something where you're like, man, I really wish that uh, we hadn't rolled that die? Oh, good God, our critical misses. I mean, th- th- we could talk a whole episode yeah. on critical misses. I-, I don't miss those in 5th edition either, where, you know, like, hey, this is a pitched fight, and it's so close, and oh my God, I just stabbed Thorn in the freaking side of the head <laughs> with my rapier. Whoops. Well, we were talking I, a second ago about kind of the, the trick of keeping first-level characters alive. I vividly remember a game I played where the one character, like, I'm trying hard to not kill them at first level, <laughs> and then, yeah, like, critical hits wipe out half the party. Like, like this, the one character had a samurai sword that somehow wound up in the cleric on the other side of the party. It's like, whoops, it slipped and flew oh, yeah, where he swallowed He's it. Dead. Yeah, the cleric <laughs> swallowed it, I believe. Yeah, that's no, right. Forensically speaking, that makes perfect sense. He slipped Absolutely. in the grass. Yeah, he slid five squares. Yeah, there's blood on there's blood on the handle. It slipped, you know. I've gotten in trouble with that. In previous editions, you had to deal a lot with like those single saves that were just catastrophic. Maybe not so much for items because the rules for that like exploding were very variant. But with like yeah. poison, death saves. I mean, who doesn't miss a good old save your dead save? I mean, that's some hardcore shit there, folks. Dude, they're in fifth edition. They're actually there are several of those in fifth edition. Well, there are. They, not as not as much though. I don't think. I think well, they like, the, like the centigrade hits you. You take the damage, and if you exceed your damage, you're like molecules. Then then you're gone. Or you just power word kill, and it's like, hey, you're dead. Suck yep. it. Finger of death. Finger of death is the same way. Because I'm a finger of death, boom, they come back as an undead under your control. (laughs) Can't wait to use that against the party. Yeah, I mean, there's times where, like, I start to feel a little bad uh, about rolls. Like, if I'm I'm hitting a bunch of nat 20s, it just happens to do that. You know, especially if it's, like, on one character, because that's where it's near. Like, you kind of are like... Oh, man, that sucks. But, you know, you're taking this damage. I hope the cleric can run over, you know. But, yeah, I mean, not not in a way where I said I wished it didn't happen in a way. You know, it's just that's what's happening, and that's okay. You know, because I think, with especially with 5e, they've built in so much that it becomes very, very, very hard to completely kill someone. You know, well, not very, very, very hard. It's hard. It's hard to completely kill somebody. Like you disintegrated, and then you had you a know. transporter. And then, and then, you know, like we were we were joked about too, Thorne. Like, you know, I think when Beam, my cleric, had hit uh, level five and finally got uh, Revivify opened up, you're like, okay, cool. Like now the gloves could be completely off because I could kill you and not not be too sad, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I quoted uh, I quoted Little Big Man. No, next we meet, I can kill you and not be a bad person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, once they hit certain points, you're like, well, hey, man, they're playing with the big kids now, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, that first level stuff, though, like, that can be a little, you can feel a little like a dick. You know? one, of the, one of the reasons why I really try to stay away from fudging the dice, besides of the cinematic effect, is that I would never want my players, aside from, you know, the whole story aspect, to feel like, they're going to, and I've actually seen this happen in other campaigns where they do stupid shit and they kind of expect the DM yeah. to bail them out. Save them. And it's like, yeah. And I've been in some cheesy campaigns. I mean, like multiple wheels of cheese 
just stacked up where <laughs> they're doing something bad, like really, really stupid. You know, like that one guy they weren't supposed to mess with, and now they're breaking into his house right now, and then the second floor, and they're going through a sock drawer, that guy. <laughs> and then it's like, whoa, and then the NPC comes and saves them, and it's like, groan. That is that is really the risk of fudging dice rolls, is if you do it too much in the party's favor. Now, I know there's players out there who might hear this and be like, oh, DMs always fudge the dice rolls to kill me. Pretty much never. It's really... It is easier than you would expect to kill a player. But if you fudge too often to save player lives and you bend over too far backwards to save your stupid players, <laughs> I don't mean all players are stupid, but you know when they're stupid. Yeah, like there's exactly. times like I told you not, like all the NPCs told you not to do that. Now I've got to save you. No, <laughs> you've got to live with the consequences of your actions. I mean, it's yeah. Like if we straight up tried to like rob Ilios in the ma- in his magical bazaar, the shot in my sky mall. Like, we're dying. Like, that's there's no saving you. You're fucking dying, yeah. Well, and also, that, just to back up, Thorn, if you have these DMs who are, like, fudge and die roll to kill you, they're probably psychopaths. So just, I would probably be very careful, you know, I mean, when you're leaving at night. You know? You're not? Isn't, isn't that a prerequisite to being a DM? You gotta be a psychopath? <laughs> um, back in the earlier days, there were some DMs who were the kill DMs. I do remember them floating around in the, in the groups. Were like, oh yeah, I got a guy, I got a character. He's level nine. It's going real great. What do you got? Um, someone just hit level two. Wait, have you been this campaign for like a year and a half? Yeah, but my characters keep dying. What? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, like that's just not. That's not enjoyable. You know? It does kind of make you want to run a uh, what, um, uh, what, what's the dungeon where basically everything kills you? Not Temple Tomb of Horrors. Not Tomb, Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. yeah, just give them the Tumahara's map and let them keep running players into it, but let them keep notes on the map as far as where the death traps are. Yeah, the, yeah Let them scout it out like an old school video game. Yeah, let's just go play Tumahara's What a great playing. idea. So, do you have a benchmark as far as, like, when you want rolls to be happening in your game? Like, do you have some, like, what kind of rule of thumb do you use to figure out, is this going to be a roll or not a roll? Uh, if it's a point of influence. If you're going to... Um, perhaps, you know, take the key off of the captain of the guards in a situation where you normally wouldn't have it, or you're trying to rescue somebody, or you're trying to negotiate the hostage situation, you know, any like, you know, ability checks where it's like, well, you have to, uh, I wouldn't say negotiating, but like feats of strength and things like that. You can't get around that. Hmm. I still say I really like dice rolls, uh, and I like them because... And I, I get your points, Thorne, that you were saying earlier, and I, I think that that's a really good uh, something to, to really think about, especially around role play and stuff. But I just look at, like, my own life, you know, like, and whatever I might be doing, whether it was playing drums, whether it was martial arts, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's D&D, whether it's whatever, right, exercising, right, whatever, as good as I might be at something, there are always times where something is just off, you know? Or I tell the story all the time where I was making dinner one night and I'm looking for the hand beaters, right? And I did the investigation check for like 20 fucking minutes. I didn't find the fucking things, right? And it's my kitchen, you know? I actually um, moved it on you, Dave. <laughs> the what? Tony using his mage hand from long distance. He has a yeah. set of and spells and skills. <laughs> no, like this and is not hilarious. Only that, not only that, the box of the hammocks was literally on the table staring at me the whole time, right? 
But there's always a chance. But my point for roles is what's the, the, the level of chance, right? So if it's something that's hard, if you want to know something, if you're trying to stealth, if you're uh, you know, trying to uh, pick a lock, if you're doing – and you're – you're doing it quickly. You're doing it on the fly. You're doing it when you're in stressful situations. Well, that's chance at that point because everything is is going on. But if you're sitting there and taking an hour to like, you know, figure something out, maybe consult your book, right? Well, then, yeah, you're probably going to find the answer, right? So I think it's a lot. It's, it's having to do with that. How much time are you spending? How hard is it? And what is your skill level? And what would you know or be able to do, you know, as that character? I mean, I guess to me, you know, a lot of the things you mentioned, I would pretty much always require a skill check on. I mean, picking a lock, absolutely. I mean, but, but there's, but there are a set of skills specifically for dealing with that, right? That's not something a normal person can walk up oh, and just do. Yeah, but if it's the rogue and they want to take like the next 15 mm -hmm. minutes to try to pick this, they're probably going to get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, the failure in that case might be more like guards come or someone here right, or something right. like that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good point. The old taking 10 rule. Yeah. Where yeah in, exactly. in third edition, I believe, and I think fourth edition too, you could take 10 and say, okay, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to take a full 10 minutes to do this. And you're, if your skill is above a certain level, you're going to get it automatically. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of sense to that. I, I, I agree with that. But things like that, like when you're specifically using a skill, yeah, I'm going to ask for a role almost always. Where I probably don't ask for a role is I do think there are times when the players can do the right thing and the consequence of the thing they chose to do works. You know, maybe it's not directly negotiating something like, you know, if you want to get a discount on something or you want to or you, or you want to get someone to come be your ally. Actually, the ally is a good example. Discount, okay. If you want to get a discount, you got to talk to someone to discount. If you want someone to be your ally, well, if you know something you can do for them to convince them to be your ally, that doesn't need a persuasion role. You're going to do the thing that proves to them that that you're trustworthy and they can trust you and they can be your ally. And that's kind of for me, I think it's important to have at dice are great. I love rolling dice, but I also think it's important to have things where it's like, well, if the party does something smart here, it works because you want to reward the party's ingenuity as well. And, the, and, and, and frankly, to me, that's part of role play, but also the role play. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to let the fighter, you know, make his do whatever he was doing and have it work. I do think you want to be careful forcing characters to do creative things to make roles and skills they're bad at because it kind of discourages the creativity. But I also think there's sometimes when, you know, if I'm asking the party to be smart, if I'm asking the party to be, to, to have agency and to come in and you tell me what they want to do, sometimes what they want to do should just work, right? If it just makes sense, they don't necessarily need a role if they did the right things. Yeah, you know, or if they're using information that they've gotten previously in the campaign and now they're using it to put it together to make the case or something, you know? I mean, you don't need a roll if you know, you don't need a roll to pick a lock if you know the combination or you have the key, right? Yeah, Just like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's it's that Good kind point. of thing. Point, yeah. um, but, but there are other ways where that applies, and maybe it's socially, maybe it's strategically. You know, maybe they just do a thing that you know, maybe they're. It, another example is like if they do something interesting that they're able to cut off the battle, so they don't need to deal with this set of forces, so they don't need to fight, and they get around it. We all do that. I've seen us all do that where they do the right thing or they do a clever thing we didn't think of. And all of a sudden, okay, well, you got around that battle. You don't need to fight those dudes. Tally ho, move forward. Shit, we um, do that all the time with Tony. Yeah, yeah <laughs> quite a bit. Time. But it's just, you know, to me, it's, it's just, it's trying to balance that, you know, that urge to roll dice because it's fun with the, well, hey, the party just did something cool. Either let it work or just make sure the die roll you're calling for doesn't punish what they tried to do. That, that is fair. I personally cannot stand... Like when we, I come back to this mechanic with Skyrim where it was like, here, here's a gold brick. Let me trade this in. 
Uh, what's your persuade roll at? Oh, a 16. I'll give you $13 for it. It's like, dude, it's a gold brick. I'm trying to trade it in. <laughs> so that's why I say I really don't it's, like to. If you're it's really like going to into ask, pawn stars that's every actually, time. That's actually a really interesting <laughs> one to point out. Because Skyrim had the whole the Skyrim skill system rolls. You basically go from like it's a zero to 100 system, but you start out generally with five, 10, 15, 20 in everything. But at low levels, like, yeah, it's stupid how little you can get for something. Like, it's like, yeah, at low levels, you almost can't buy and sell at low levels. No one's giving you anything. At high levels, you're basically trading like, you know, you're basically trading twigs for that gold brick. It's like, here, take a bunch of ancient arrows that I can now trade you for one for one gold piece each. And give me that brick of gold. It's like medieval, it was worth the brick of gold. <laughs> it's like medieval pawn stars where they like they come in with like Eddie Van Halen's guitar and he's like, ah, I can, I'll give you fifty for it. <laughs> You're like, That's the best I can do. Best I can do. That's twenty bucks and you get twenty bucks and a roll on the prize wheel. So I really, I really try to avoid that. And you know, I can't stand haggling in my game as as a whole. Like that just drives me freaking nuts. Haggling's a tough. Thing. Like all Haggling's the time. Tough well, for everything. Um, in most cases because sometimes you get players who they get a good situation going they have a merchant they have a good rapport with they can get good prices they can kind of like work something out that's great but if the player wants to negotiate how much the horse is going in the stable he's negotiating lunch you know I mean at some point like the DM I want to take the heavy crossbow bolt and stick it in my mouth and shoot myself for me, I oftentimes will will have at least there's there's generally at least some shopkeeper or tavern owner somebody that is gonna haggle, uh, and usually because they're miserly, right? Um, I always have a little of uh, at least somewhere because I for me, I mean maybe it drives people fucking batty, who knows? But I like to I think it like helps to create some of the theme of like oh well if this village is kind of like a little bit more shifty everybody's trying to get it over on you, you know, as opposed to a more yeah. welcoming town who, oh, we have honest prices and all this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know if that comes through or not, but that's generally where I kind of go with it. Yeah, that's a really good point. It, the the presence of haggling can be a signal of what kind of town this is, so it can kind of deepen your world. I'm with Tony on this one, though. Like, <laughs> Just let's give me the thing. <laughs> well, here's the problem, right? I mean, haggling every now and then can be an interesting mechanic that lends depth to the world. It makes the world feel more alive. Because real people haggle, right? I hate haggling personally in my real life, so, so I don't like right, it. Right, right, right. But, I mean, it's like, you know, in the real world, you, you, sometimes you haggle. But it's not to me. It's not a fun role-playing game interaction. Perhaps because of what I just said. The, like I don't want to spend a lot of time haggling with the shopkeeper over a price. Even though in both your games, I've sometimes had characters try to do it. Especially Phineas, who is the charisma guy. Because hey, let's try to get some extra ducats out of the charisma, right? But it's it's not necessarily where I think. I think it's nice on occasion. What the kind of situation Tony is describing, where like the player characters are in there all the time and just trying to basically, because what you're effectively doing is trading time for gold. You're effectively yeah. spending time hmm. from the session to try to haggle a few gold That's pieces a good out. Point. That's a good point. And it's not really what we want to be doing, right? You want to, I mean, at low levels, like first, the first adventure, having someone haggle some stuff out. Yeah, that's fine. Let him show he's a convincing guy. Couple, first couple adventures when gold's hard to come by. Later on in the game, 
eh, you know, haggling should only happen when it is really kind of like when it's part of the game, when it's story appropriate or it's situationally appropriate. And that's, you know, you come across a, a, a gin caravan and you're trying to argue for wishes. Now you're haggling, except yeah. you're haggling for like maybe your soul or something. You know, now it's Jack Sparrow. Yeah, Jack Sparrow haggling with Davy Jones over how many souls to get his soul back. That's when you want to haggle. You know, yeah, those yeah, scenes in Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean, so we've agreed it's for sale, and now it's just about the price. That's interesting haggling. Yeah, That's yeah, haggling. No, not, not every time you visit but the store. But for me, like, like with that kind of stuff, with like shopkeepers and stuff, sometimes it's that, because you guys know how I kind of roll it, and I'm just yeah. very freeform with it, because that's also a time where information can start to flow as well, much like in sure. the real world, right? Because these people are the ones who are interacting with everybody. So they might know who's coming through town and what's the big gossip now and that kind of stuff. And so sometimes, but yeah, I don't want it to turn like you guys have said, this the Skyrim thing where like you're having to run to every, ta every okay, well now I got to go to this guy. Okay, now I got to go to this guy to sell this. And now I got to go to this guy to sell this. Like sometimes, but not, yeah, not all the time. Sometimes you want to just be able to, okay, yeah, you guys do it and let's yeah. get on with stuff. And even in the same, but you see what you're describing as far as when you want to haggle, you have a good reason for it. Those are good reasons to introduce haggling. By talking to the shopkeeper, you're going to interact with the world more deeply and you might learn more information. That's yeah. a good reason to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. What gets to be tricky and what I think Tony is referring to more, where one, I don't think Tony does that as much, although he has done it a bit in the Storm King Slender game. And I know I don't do it as much. He's literally but, sold us clues. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really comes down to, uh, you know, is this is this advancing my world in the game in the play experience or is this just a player who wants to get a good deal? You know, is this yeah, just a player yeah. who's going to argue with you you until you give it to them for free just so they go back out on the damn adventure? Just another version of the divorce well, lawyer. <laughs> well, <laughs> the example I have in my head is I mean I think we've all maybe at one point in our been in this scenario where you're trying to roll out an early module. In your career, and you're like, okay, you know, you have an opportunity, and you there is a farm. It's overrun by goblins. You can take it back, and you know, the, the, the town could come up and give everybody, you know, fifty gold if they do this. And they're like, fifty gold? No, you can do better. And you're haggling on your first job, and you're beating these guys up for it. And it's like, are you? I mean, taking a limit out of this. Like, once <laughs> you want to do this, fine. And especially in this situation, like people's houses are all taken over by goblins. They're all displaced and you're beating them up for money. You're certainly not the heroes here. I think that happened in Storm King's Thunder. I think I think he's talking about a specific Storm King's Thunder situation. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, we did we did uh, like befriend ourselves to the literal mafia of the Forgotten Realms, like first game in. So, you know, well, this was I haven't forgotten that. Isn't this the same situation that came up when you were talking about, uh, it doesn't matter, you haggle a little more here, you're getting the same amount of money from the modules just coming out of the treasure elsewhere. This is this is that instance, isn't it? Well, it depends. Like, if you do something really neat, I'm certainly not going to punish you by moving that treasure around. I just don't want to get carried away. And some people will, will, let, will be like, I'm going to beat the Lord up on the price for doing this. I'm going to beat the villagers up for doing this. It drives me crazy when it's like they would be paid the same amount of gold they are going to get out of running the module for going the module. <laughs> like you're double tipping. You know, it, it's interesting. And I think it's that is that is a matter of at that point, I think what's really going on there is the DM and the players are kind of negotiating over what is this world going to be like? 
the players are trying to figure out, is there more money I can get if I spend more time haggling? And the DM's trying to figure out, just how can I get you on the damn adventure? I think you can head some of that off with the right kind of signaling. Like, if you just say, if 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 that guy just up front says, look, guys, that's what we have. Yeah, Sorry, I got nothing else to give you. You cut them off. Well, then this comes down again to you teach players how to play your game. If they want to haggle and the Lord's like, and the Lord just like insults them back, is like, yeah, go ahead, go away. I'll find someone else to do this. You will teach them not to haggle. On the other hand, you might have them walk away from your adventure and need to figure out some other way to get them into your adventure. But if you don't want haggling moving forward, that's a, that's, I think it's, I think that is absolutely a, a card to play. Yeah, you know, you don't need to haggle just because the players want to haggle doesn't mean you need to haggle if you don't want it to be a high haggle world. If you let them haggle, all of a sudden you're in a situation where, well, they expect to haggle. So I just got to, I got to price everything 10% below what the, what, what I was going to give them and just let them argue me up to it. Okay. I'll give you 10% more. Just go do it. Yeah. Well, they, they make all these die checks and they're like, oh, look at these persuasion rolls. We're going to definitely get some extra loot on this. And yeah. And you're saving like five silver by the end of it. You know, <laughs> it's true. And I, and I do remember like some, a lot of times players do it just because they're trying to try out their abilities and what can they do with them? I haven't, I can't think very, even in that game, I don't think those players have tried to negotiate any other prices. Like it's almost something players tend to do early on. In like, if you just kind of, yeah, you figure out how you want to handle it and move on. Once they get to higher levels and they have more money, they don't seem to do it as often. At least that's been my mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how that's I think that's kind of the truth in real life too. You know, when you're of more meager means, like you're you're gonna try to get every every penny out of that that you can. But when like you know when you're comfortable, you're like, oh yeah, it was like I don't know, it was like twenty bucks. <laughs> and you're like twenty bucks, my God, that was you know, I wouldn't have to put the milk away at the cash register, you know. <laughs> I've seen players do this where they've had tens of thousands of gold pieces, and in, in, like we had an economy where you really couldn't just buy magical items or do anything really with it other than buy, you know, a castle or a war galley. Like, you, you know, choose what you want. And then they're still like, oh, I wouldn't do this for under 10,000 gold. Well, you realize that's in the module, right? Like, there's your chance. You want 10,000 gold? There it is. Now, we're not <laughs> sure you're going to spend it on, but there's gold there. Yeah. You know, you know, this is actually to, to tie this back into kind of the, the 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 dice concept of this episode. This is a good time to talk about when do you not allow a roll? Because okay, the players want to haggle, but the king's not budging. One way you can signal that is by simply telling the players, you don't get to roll this. He's just not moving. I mean, you have as a DM. There is a whole school of thought because you can't critical miss or critical hit on skill on skill checks. Right. The DMG actually recommends you don't let characters roll if there's no chance of success because a 20 doesn't matter. So that's maybe a time to think about, well, do I even want to allow a roll there? Oh, we're rolling persuasion. Oh, I didn't ask for your persuasion. So tough. <laughs> I'd have to agree with you in, in this one because you know what? I If I roll the 20 on a persuasion check and I'm like, come on, you know, release my friend. 20 of my persuasion check, you know, I've got a 16 charisma and I have skill in it. And he's like, go kick rocks. I'm going to be like, well, why did we spend 20 minutes just negotiating with this guy? If you know, yeah, I would, uh, I try to do that as a player too. I try to very much give the DM the, uh, the space to decide what the roles are going to be and if they're going to be. So oftentimes I will, I will preface it. I'll say, uh, I'd like to talk to that person or what would I know about this or I'd like to do this uh, or are they telling the truth? Do they seem trustworthy as opposed to saying, can I make this? Can I make a perception role? Can I make an insight role? I kind of tell them what I want to do and then they can decide 
yeah, give me a, you know, give me an active perception. Give me a stealth roll. Give me a whatever it might be, you know, uh, to allow them to decide where is the chance in the world and where isn't there. To your point, like what you're saying now, because sometimes it's just not happening. You know, I don't care. You can't jump over the moon. I don't care how high your athletics check is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like I don't mind if they ask me if they could make a roll so long as they ask, because I can say no. Yeah. Yeah, I can say, okay, can, can I can I make a persuasion roll to convince them? No. Yeah. You can just say no. You know, it's when they start rolling with the expectation that they're going to have a chance to persuade anyone of anything. Yeah. Um. You know, you can have a game like that, but I think it's up to the DM if you're if you know th that is this haggle issue, right? If players come into every job thinking they can haggle, well, you know, either you want that or you don't, and if you don't, you need to shut them down so they don't keep trying to do it. You need to make it clear. Yeah. These guys aren't haggling on these prices. This is just a set part of the campaign world. Take it or leave it. And, you know, hope they don't call your bluff. Yeah, absolutely. No, there are absolutely times, though, that you should uh, – that some things are not, are not possible. doesn't matter what you roll. But like I said, there are those, those times where, yeah, this isn't happening. But if you happen to get some crazy-ass roll, well, then mm. things might change, you know? Yeah. But that's, that's something that you kind of have to really think about if you're going to do that because that can really change what you're – what your plan is for that that encounter, that town, that person, that NPC, whatever. I mean, part of the question is, do you want to have game-changing roles? Do you want to have a – are you trying to build a campaign world where the players can come in, bust an awesome persuade check, and all of a sudden they're kings of the town instead of just being low kind of, you know, lick spittles? Like, right. how do you want to do that? And it's not – there is no right or wrong answer there. It's world building. It yeah. is teaching the players how to play your game. In my game, can you come in, go talk to the queen, and make and, and make a series of really good persuasion checks, and all of a sudden now you're effectively a duke of the kingdom? Or do you, or is this a world where you've got to come in and kind of work your way up? Like, can you leapfrog? Where can you leapfrog and how is part of your game world design? Yeah. And if you don't want them doing that stuff, don't let them like, don't give them the opportunity to, I think is the, I think it's the real thing. Like you want to, you don't want to put things in play for random roles that you don't want ha to have happening is what it comes down to. Cause then you'll get pissed about the roles. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. You make some great persuade checks. You know, you go to the queen and you're like, Hey, I want to be a Duke. And she's like, sure. No problem. I get this castle over here. That's not inhabited because there's a hydra that's kind of inhabiting it. <laughs> so clear it out. It's all yours. Yeah, you can be a It's all and yours. And here's 50 gold, too. <laughs> Final offer. <laughs> and your buddy could be uh, Sir Loin. There you go. I got handing out titles. Yeah, it's funny because I think interacting with the dice is in a lot of ways. The dice really are the world from a certain point of view. The randomness in the dice is effectively how your world is impacting what the characters want to do. I think. Yes. So you yes. want to think about it. Like whenever you're letting, whenever you're, whatever you're, whatever roles you're setting up, whatever roles you're letting them make, think about how does this impact the game world I have? Now, if it's a combat, of course, you know, it's a, you're, you're rolling, you're, you're rolling to hit and deal damage. If it's social, if it's something they're trying to like talk the price up on something and they're trying to talk somebody into something or it's game changing, you can have a world where that plays and that's great. But if you don't want a world where that plays, you don't. You shouldn't allow the rules for it. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, you, know, you get. You want to. You want to think. You want to be strategic about what you allow players to roll for. So actually, so so one other thing I wanted to talk about. We hit this a little bit before. Do you do anything creative with dice rolls beyond like what the book does? So for example, one of the things I've done in the past is I've done a percentile roll based on the ability score with a difficulty modifier of times one to times five. So at times one would be really hard. And what the player effectively has to do is roll their uh, their ability score times the modifier on it 
under that on a D100. This is going back to second edition. So that was an interesting way sometimes when a player wanted to do something crazy that was not covered by the books, like, you know, run up a wall and then vault off and kick two orcs in the head. If they wanted to do something like that, this would be a way for me to do a role in a way that is interesting in it specifically breaks up the normal way of rolling. It's part of the reason I would do it this way. Like you're trying to do something really weird. I'm going to ask you to roll something that is really weird to, <laughs> to, to, to create that experience of we're off book here. We're doing something else interesting. So it would be a percentile roll based on the ability score times the uh, times the difficulty modifier. One is the is low. Five is times five is high. Times five is you're probably going to make it. And that's like just a kind of one system I have used in the past to kind of do kind of a wacky kind of role. Do you guys do anything like that? Like any roles that are just off from what the rule books do? I roll my skill checks uh, differently, as you, you mm. see in certain cases, where I try to draw everybody into a group skill check challenge. Where I'm like, mm. I need some people to give me a couple of nature. I need, I need some, in, I need. Uh, you know, uh, some insight. I need a couple of history checks, and then we can get this done. Uh -huh. versus, it actually works one, out really well. Yeah. Yeah, versus one guy just steering the ship through the storm, and we're there, and nice work. You're navigating, you're keeping the ship together, and you're piloting the ship. Go. And also, you know, it, it avoids the single point failure, too. You have two or three people making rolls, you have some other people helping with rolls, and now you're in a situation where it's probably going to work or probably not work based on what the percentage chances. I, I actually, you do that a lot. And I, I think it's a really good way of handling and it's it. A, and it becomes a team thing then too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't do anything as crazy as like the, the percentile with the times thing. That's it's a cool, like I, I, I dig things like that. And I like using, I definitely like using other dice too, to do certain things just because some dice you never freaking roll, you know, or you just roll very, That's true. very infrequently. Like Matt Colville makes this point. He, he oftentimes his random encounters he will roll off of a D 12. Cause he's like, I never roll a D 12. Like I want to roll a D 12 more, you know? <laughs> so, but what I'll do a lot of times, like if somebody was like, if somebody wanted to jump off the wall and flip and kick, two orcs in the head and all of this, I would, um, I'll usually take that and I'll break it up into uh, separate roles, you know? So you'll be making your athletics role. You'll be making a, you know, your attack role. You'll be making maybe a, a some sort of like knowledge role as to how the hell can I do, who knows, right? Depending on what they're asking, but kind of break it up into multiple roles that they have to make to show that it's not just, oh, well, I if I roll a 20, I got it, you know? Yeah. You got to you got to get some other stuff. But I love skill challenges, too, like Tony does. I'm trying to build them more into my games as well because they're uh, I, just, I like them. I just think it's a cool way to use skills and a cool way that lets everyone shine, too. Well, it does. It has that effect that it basically it builds tension. It, it, it makes your and it is borrowing a bit from the deep from the uh, fourth edition skill challenges. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've seen many you know, Matt Colville's talk about how those are used. I think Matt Mercer's talked about how those are, has used them in some of his games. Yeah. It's a, that's actually a good mechanic that probably should have carried over. They're great. They're great. I, go back and read the 4E manual, guys, if you haven't, for the skill challenges alone. They're they're pretty cool the way they built them out, I yeah. thought. And it's because it basically, it turns things that aren't combat-focused into something that has tension in the same way combat does, instead of just a single die roll. Yeah. And, you know, really... I do think single point failures, if you're trusting a lot of your story to single point failures, that is a situation where I think, you know, one, it can go wrong too easy. 
And two, you're losing a lot of tension and interesting kind of interaction if you're just letting things come down, just if you're always using single die rolls to determine skill-focused things. You know what that turns your story into, Thorin? A single point failure. <sighs> there you go. You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. So we've been talking about this for a little while now. I think uh, final thoughts. Let's do two things. Final thoughts on how you use dice and what is your favorite die? Oh, Jesus Christ. Hmm. Final thoughts are um, I would never tell you to never under any circumstances fudge the dice. I'm just saying you should do it about as rarely as you would come across a five leaf clover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, uh, because you're right. Players are super keen on when you fudge the dice, and they can really kind of change the mood of the room negatively. You don't want that working against you. And as far as my favorite die, I'm we talking my favorite physical die, like in my die bag right now, or like, like what are we talking about? Favorite? I, was thinking, I was thinking of the polyhedrals. How do you want to answer it? I, I mean, uh, the twenty is like obviously yeah, super iconic. Yeah. I mean, who, who doesn't love that? Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna be a basic white lady. I'm gonna just say D20. Like it's just it's in our logo. Come on. <laughs> it's true, it is. I mean, no one likes a D4. You're fighting with daggers. I mean, boo. D6 is in every board game. The D20 is what really sets Dungeons and Dragons apart from these yeah, other games. True, true. Well, I will say, D4, best Caltrop. Okay. Oh, forget about it. Throw a couple of them on the street. That'll slow them down. All right, Dave, what about you? Final thoughts? Uh, first, copyright, trademark. Planned them encounters. Mm. Okay, so these are planned random encounters. Work it out, guys. Get two or three of them. Your job is done. I I I covered what I like with my dice and what I do. I uh, I use them a lot. Uh, I like a good amount of chance in the world. I agree with Thorne. I do not like single point failures. So it's very rare that that would happen on anything that would uh, deny you the ability to understand. Uh, you know where the hell to go next or what's happening. But other than that, I'm I'm having you roll a lot of dice, you know, sometimes even because it doesn't matter. I'm just making you roll the dice because it's fun, too. And then you're probably going to get the information anyway, depending, you know, yeah. unless you roll a one and then you're shit out of luck. And I'm going to say the D20 because, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just going to be basic about it. We are mostly playing the D20 system. Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. be basic. I mean, I dig them all, but like the D20, there's just something mystical about it. Magical. All right. And let's see. Final thoughts for me. Rolling dice is fun. But think about what you're achieving with that dice roll and what you want to achieve with it. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes rolling the die is adding to the fun of the game. Sometimes you're actually losing out on the chance to reward interesting gameplay. So I would say, while you do want to roll a lot of dice, be careful rolling dice at a time when you actually just want to reward what the players came up with. So if the players are being creative, it's good role play. Stop and think, do you really want to have to roll a die to decide if this works, or do you just want to let it work to reward what they're doing? So think about that. In general, too, think about what you're trying to do with your die rolls. You know, if you're in a situation where you don't want something to work, don't ask the players to roll for it. By nature, when you let the players roll, they might roll a 20, and then you're going to have to tell them why it didn't work anyway. So if you don't, if that's not part of your world, if your world is not about haggling a bunch, if your world is not about talking people out of encounters, 
don't let them roll the dice on the combat side. If you want to have a com- if, if you have players who constantly want to talk to the enemy and talk them down and get out of combats that you want to have. Now, a lot of us would enjoy that, but I've seen plenty, plenty of DMS complain about it. in on social media that their party's constantly avoiding fights by talking their way out of it. Well, mm-hmm. the simple way to fix that is just attack them. So they can't talk, <laughs> you know, think about it. If you're having problems with, with die rolls, like skill checks that are coming up too often and the way players are playing the game, but you don't want your world to work that way, think about think about not allowing some of those dice rolls. And I'll throw out there for my favorite die, actually, the one we don't use very often, the D12. The big, yeah. the big battle. Yeah, the barbarian hit points. Almost, yeah, barbarian hit It's the barbarian's die. The, the D12, that's my favorite. It is the barbarian die. We didn't talk about this, but there is an interesting thing you can do with random monster tables. So if you look up some of the old school random monster tables, they were actually D8. They, they run from 2 to 20, but they were actually D8 plus D12. So you roll the D8, you roll the D12, and that generates a number. It, it kind of generates a curve that is fatter in the middle and really skinny on the end. So it's really rare to get a 12, really rare, rare to get a 2, um, or really rare to get a, to get, a, to get a 20 or a 19, I should say. So anything anything kind of up above like 15 gets really hard to roll on that table. That is an interesting way to roll random encounters because you can put crazy stuff on the end of your random encounter tables. And with a D8 plus D12, you're only going to see it once in a blue moon. Having said that, remember, if you never want to see it, don't put it on your table. So that's it for me. Yeah, think about what you want to do with your dice and, and, and just, you know, make sure you know what you're doing with them before you ask players to roll. And uh, yeah, guys, thanks a lot. I had a good time on this one. Yeah, yeah very good. good. Very good. And that's all for tonight. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. You can catch us on Facebook and Twitter, also on threewisedms.com, where you'll find not only our podcast, but also a wealth of blog posts we've put out there, including Tony's Magic Item Shop, Ilios's Sky Mall, you've heard us talk about, Dave's Dive <laughs> into Weird New Jersey, a pair of a, a two part module you could check out for kind of a d20 modern setting so we have a lot of good stuff there at threewisedms.com uh, you can always email us at threewisedms at gmail.com with any feedback you have or suggestions for stuff for us to cover on the podcast we would love to know what you think and finally if you're listening to us on a podcast platform please if you like what you're hearing smash that five-star review button that has a lot of influence on who gets to see us and how far how widely uh, people know about three wise dms and you know we're really trying to build that audience so we'd appreciate any help you can give us thanks again and we'll catch you next week on three wise dms Thank you.